You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. When you walk in the, into the building, you see those three words, pray, engage, develop. And some of you are, are fairly new to Meadowbrook, and you probably not, have not heard why those words are on there. I just want to focus on one of those words for a second before we dive into the passage today. And that word is develop. There's a, there's a, <laughs> the highlight of my trip wasn't, wasn't the reunion. It was I visited Crossing Community Church where I lived on the property in, in their um, farmhouse that was previously owned by William Penn. I got to worship on Sunday at this church where shortly after I became a Christian, I attended their youth group. And uh, I just it, was just, it was just brought back all kinds of memories. There are people there who remembered me from when I was a young adult and when I was a teenager. On Monday, I went and visited with uh, Carolyn Johnson, who is a secretary at Calvary Baptist Church. That's the church that I was the custodian at, and then I was an interim pastor, and then I was an associate pastor, and then I was an associate pastor and a custodian, and then I left. But <laughs> we lived in the house that I affectionately referred to, the little house in the parking lot, because that's what it was. Uh, and just, you know, just thinking about that. And when I left that, that church to take my, my first role as a lead pastor, as a senior pastor, to serve at Northwest Baptist Church, there was this family who gave me a book. It's, in my, it's on my shelf. I've kept it for all these years. And I even read the book. <laughs> it's on the attributes and character, characteristics of, of who God is. And uh, on the front page of that book, it said, and I don't say this to boast. I say this just, this, is the, this has, always been the, has always been the goal for me as a pastor. It said in the book, by Bob and Shirley White, is said to our dear brother Keith, who has shown us the God of the Bible. That's why I get up in the morning. That's why I'm here. I want you to see the God of the book. Because when it comes to just who I am and, you know, my experiences and your experiences and, and all the things that God has allowed, has allowed us to do or will allow us to do, at the end of the day, it's about knowing him and being known by him. And so I just, it's not in my manuscript. This is just, I just felt this morning, I just felt, you know, I wanted to share that with you. My hope for you and for my own heart is that you get to see some glimpse of the God of the Bible. Because at the end of the day, it is by seeing him through the power of his Holy Spirit that, that change will happen in your life. And so I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, we're in, obviously, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're, we're going to get into the text. I figured, hey, what, in, a, in like one minute, I've, I'll, I'll show you a, a video clip. I figure, what better way to launch an Advent series than, than what I'm about to show you? And you'll, you'll get it, uh, for those of you who know me, in a minute. But I, I, uh, I was thinking about uh, what, one of my favorite movies, and one of my favorite movies is The Avengers. How many of you have seen the first Avengers movie? Okay, some of you haven't. I'm so sorry for you. But it was like one of my favorite movies. And, and Nathan was doing pretty well in, in uh, I think it was junior high, because it was 2012. And there's actually a picture of Nathan. Let's go, this is Nathan, this is my son. 
Um, I couldn't talk him out of getting a different haircut. He was, he was set on, he's not here, I can do this to him. Uh, he, he's on, they're on their way back from Uganda right now. But um, his hair does not look that way anymore, thank, thank God. But it was like he, Asian hair and he thought he would try to grow it long. We met at the movie theater at Missio Day Fellowship. That's, that's the church I planted at this movie theater. And, and so I, it was on Friday, it was opening day, and uh, this is the second reason why I really love the Avengers, is I thought I would surprise Nathan. And I said, hey, I have a meeting real quick. I have to meet up with somebody, and, and it would take just a minute. Uh, so, but it's at, it's at Caribou Coffee, which was right next to the movie theater, and it was one of my favorite coffee places. So I go there, I get my coffee, I'm like, actually the person's uh, right in front of the AMC movie theater, so uh, we, we've got to walk over there. And we're walking, and, start, and Nathan started to get a little suspicious, like, what's going on, Dad? Because um, I can't keep a secret that great. So, so we're walking, I said, actually, I lied. We're going to, it was opening day, we're going to see Avengers, uh, it was like the 9 o'clock showing or whatever, 8 o'clock, 8.30 showing, in IMAX. And so... That's, that, I took a picture of Nathan. I found this on Facebook, uh, on my Facebook thing. So that's, that's Nathan. The, uh, the, other, the third reason why I really love the Avengers film is the redemptive overtones throughout the film. Uh, like it, I, I don't think Marvel will ever produce, uh, I, I'm doubtful they'll ever produce a series of films that leading up to the Avengers like, like the way they did leading up to the Avengers. And so there's this clip. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and I, I could have stopped it right with Loki, but I, you know, we need a little like action, and so I thought, you know, Sunday morning, starting Advent series, what, what, what speaks more into Advent than this clip? So, so let's just show the clip. Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. Not to men like you. There are no men like me. There are always men like you. Look to your elder people. Let him be an example. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
You know, the last time I was in Germany and saw a man standing above everybody else, we ended up disagreeing. The soldier. <laughs> a man out of time. I'm not the one who's out of time. Loki, drop the weapon and stand down. Loki's a little speech, but why not? Um, so that, 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 that line from, from Loki, it, it is the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lore of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. Now, as you, you think about that, like we're, that's coming from the villain in Avengers. Uh, I love the older guy who stands up, and this all takes place in Germany, by the way. Uh, this scene. He stands up and he says, well, we don't, I don't kneel to men like you. I was thinking of, uh, when, I, when I saw that clip the first time, I was thinking of, I thought of Philippians chapter 2, which says, for this reason God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, like, how do you how do you reconcile that with with some of the things that we've learned in history about man demanding people to kneel to them? I mean, it even happens today, like in North Korea and and other places in the world. Um, how does how does First Samuel chapter eight help us wrap our minds around that? Because I think what Loki said in the film, I think is true. We were made to be ruled, uh, not by tyrants. But, but by a good king. And so, so that's where we kind of pick up with, with 1 Samuel chapter 8. And uh, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's really, it's really interesting. Uh, but it's here that Israel demands a king. So leading up to this, if, you are, if you're familiar with the Bible and you read through, say, Judges, Judges is filled with these stories of these individual judges that God would uh, raise up to deliver uh, his people from, from bondage, from the tyranny of their oppressors. But there was this cycle that uh, would result in them becoming enslaved to like a people group or a certain ruler or whoever. And the cycle usually began with, it started out with, yeah, we will worship you, Lord. And then they would uh, wind up either marrying, foreign, the men would wind up marrying foreign, the foreign women, or they would see the, the other people groups, and they would want to be like them. And then they wind up worshiping their gods, and then before they would wind up enslaved to that people, and then God would raise, then they would plead with God, please deliver us, and then God would raise up a judge. That's judges. And the way the judges ends uh, is the very last verse, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so, uh, so here you have chapter 8. Now, who's Samuel? Samuel is he's the last judge that God raised up to, to, to uh, rule, not rule, but to, to, to lead Israel. And uh, you need to understand something about Samuel. Samuel was a godly man. He loved God. Uh, in fact, I don't think there's anybody like him in the Bible, other, you know, aside from Jesus. There's no, like when you read about Samuel, there's nothing negative that we, that we learn of him, that, that I'm aware of anyway. He, he was a man of conviction. He spoke into the lives of, 
of other you know, leaders. Eventually, you know, he'll wind up, as, as you read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, he'll, you'll see him speak into Saul's life. You'll see him speak into David's life, early in David's, uh, in David's life. But the way Judges ends is that in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Then you have Ruth, and then you have Samuel. And Hannah was Samuel's, uh, was Samuel's mother, and she couldn't, get, like, she couldn't get pregnant. Her husband was married to two women. She was one of them. And, and uh, she just pleaded with God, please allow me to get pregnant. Allow me to have a son. If you let me have a son, if you bless me with a, a, a male child, I will dedicate that child to the service of you. That is, to, to the service of a priest or in, in the tabernacle uh, where the people would gather and they would worship and sacrifices would be made to atone for their sins. I will dedicate my son to you if, you if you would just let me get pregnant, if you would just let me have a son. And God blessed her. What's interesting is that at the very beginning of, of, of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to a guy by the name of Eli, who was a priest. He was extremely overweight. His, his sons were also served as priests, and they would take bribes, and they would sleep with the women outside of the tent, women who were, sit, who were called to, to, to help with, with ministry. Eli's sons would sleep around with them. They were horrible people. In fact, the word that is described of Eli's two sons is they were useless men. And God judged them. Uh, and, and this all happened in front of Eli's eyes. Like he was aware of what was going on, and he just gave him like a little like pep talk. Like, come on, guys, get it together. That was about it. And, uh, and so Hannah was praying, pleading with God before she got pregnant, and Eli interpreted her crying and pleading with the Lord and her worshiping of the Lord as her being drunk. That gives you some indication of the priest, the high, the high priest in Israel, where he was at with his relationship with the Lord. He couldn't even identify what it looked like to worship God. And so uh, so she's pleading with the Lord. She gets up. Eli says, hey, you, you, you know, what's going on here? And, and she says, I'm just, plea I'm just praying to the Lord. And, and then Eli says, well, why don't you go home and, and maybe the Lord bless you. Well, the thing is, is that the Lord did bless her. And she wound up getting pregnant by her husband with Samuel. And she dedicated Samuel to, uh, to the Lord. And, and Samuel was like all in, <laughs> like literally from birth, he was all in in worshiping God. That's Samuel. Then we come to chapter eight, and uh, and right away we're we're just we're told some things that are really important. He had two sons, and what's interesting about their names is that uh, one of the sons' name, <laughs> like this, gives you some indication as to. How many of your parents? I know most of you are. Uh, how many of you have, still have dreams and hopes for your for your children? If your child sit next to you, raise your hand. <laughs> you don't want to dis <laughs> you don't want to discourage them. Um, like Samuel had the hope for his sons, so he gives them these names: Abijah and Joel. Joel means Yahweh is God. Abijah means my father is Yahweh. What's interesting is that these two sons, just so you know, context here, they live about 50 miles away from Samuel. They're not within sight of Samuel. 
they had, I don't know if they started off strong in their relationship with the Lord and walked away from the Lord. We're not told. What we are told is, is that they were, they were taking bribes. Um, they, their hearts didn't belong to the Lord. And so, so that's, uh, we're introduced to that. Then the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel, and, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Meaning, Samuel, we get it. You're godly. You love the Lord. But you're getting old now. And your sons, they're not even close to you spiritually. And so we want, we want a king. In fact, they demand a king. Now appoint us a king to judge us like all the nations. That's very key. If, you're, if, you, if you like marking your Bible, that's a verse to mark. Um, and, then, and then the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people. What's going on here? Well, Samuel, like, like any good leader, does some self-reflecting. What did I do wrong? What's going on here? I've been leading these people faithfully. And now they want a king? I thought it's been going okay with me being the ju- their judge. And God tells him, so, so this is the other thing about Samuel that I love. The people come to him, they complain, they say, because your sons don't walk in your ways, and you're about to kill over dead one day, like, uh, we, we can't rely on you, um, so, so get us a king. Samuel goes to the Lord in prayer. It's a, it's a very important lesson. Anytime you're agitated, anytime things seem like they're out of, out of your control, your first recourse of action should be go to the Lord in prayer. If he is sovereign, if he, is, if he truly governs the universe like we say that we believe he does, if we believe the Bible to be true, go to him in prayer. I, I'm, I'm blown away by you know, the three young adults from our church that went to Uganda. Five years ago, if you were to tell me that Nathan was going to go to Uganda by himself or with some friends, I would not have believed it. And when, you know, I shared this a couple weeks ago, when he came home, uh, when they were talking about going, he asked me, do you think I can do this, Dad? I'm like, yeah, because I, I know who God is. And it's been amazing. I can't wait for them to share their trip. He's been FaceTiming us just, you know, about three or four times since since they left for Uganda. Go to the Lord in prayer. <laughs> and, and what is God's response? What, what is, how, does God, how does God speak into Samuel's life? He said, listen to the voice of the people regarding all that they say to you, because they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. That's another very key important thing. You should underline that if you underline stuff in your Bible. There are, there are three paradoxes I just want to point out in this passage to you. Three ironies. I was like, it's just ironic, just the things that are going on in here. And I just, I, want, I just want to share those with you. Here's the first paradox. And this is just filled with so much things that we can take home and apply to our lives. Paradox number one, Samuel's sons were a walking paradox or a walking iron, like their, their life was ironic uh, that, and that their lives served as a living parable of Israel's relationship with God. So uh, this happens, like, I've been a pastor for 20 years, believe me, and I, am, and I am a flawed human being, like I get it, like I am flawed, but I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with individuals who have used the, who have compared their lives against the greater, their perceived greater sins of others so that they could feel better about their own sin. 
well, I'm not murdering somebody. I'm just, I'm just you know, cheating on my taxes, right? Like, like this is what they do. This is, this is what Israel does. The elders of Israel, speaking on behalf of all of Israel, they go to Samuel and they say, uh, be, your sons don't walk in the way of the Lord, therefore um, we need a king. And, uh, and I find that ironic because the sons, the, actually their sin is, is, I mean, it's grievous, but it's not as grievous as Israel's track record. Because what God says to, to Samuel, it says, like all, verse 8, like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them out from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have abandoned me and served other gods, so they are doing to you as well. Okay, they, they've rejected me as king. It's been an ongoing issue with us. And so they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And here's some takeaways I, get, I glean from this, because... Um, most of you raised your hands that, I, we, that you have children. And um, my guess is that it grieves Samuel's heart that his children were not walking in the ways of the Lord. So there are two like takeaways from this. Like One, just because you think someone else's sin is ugly does not mean that your sin is no more repulsive in the eyes of God. That's takeaway number one. Secondly, um, we don't know what kind of father Samuel was. My guess is that he was probably a good father. But you can be the, you, you can be the godliest parent on planet Earth. And at the end of the day, your children will decide who they will serve. You, 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 can, you can give all kinds. You can, you can make them come to church every Sunday. You can, you can have daily devotions at home. You can pray together. You can do all those things. And there will come a day where your child will have to make a decision whether or not this faith that they grew up with is their mom and dad's faith or it's their own faith. That had to happen with my own son. There had to come a point, and it was a kind of a moment of crisis, where his, like the faith of our home, the, the, what, what Nathan grew up under and what, Nathan, what Seth is growing up under, like for Nathan, he had to make a decision. Is this mine or is, is this my parents? And uh, you could be the godliest parent on planet Earth. At the end of the day, your children will need to make a decision as to who they will serve. And I don't think the, 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 the behavior of Samuel's sons were, were a reflection. In fact, I know they, their behavior was not a reflection on Samuel's parenting skills. I, I, some of you need to hear that. Because I think some of you, you probably have really heavy hearts. And you're like wondering, what, what did I do wrong? Well, what did I do wrong? And so that's, that's, that, those are some of the takeaways from the first paradox. The second paradox is that Samuel's two sons did not live up to their name in the same way that Israel did not live up to her name as a nation. Think about it. Like, J think about Jacob. Remember Jacob? We spent a whole lot of time in Malachi. Jacob, we talked about him, where God said, Jacob, I love you, saw I hated um, in Malachi chapter 1. Well, I talked about Jacob's name, literally meant heel grabber. I mean, like, that's not a great name to name your child, I don't think, like heel grabber, because that's the way he came out of the womb. And, and like, he was known for being deceptive. He manipulated his older, technically his older brother, although he was a twin. Uh, he manipulated Esau. He manipulated his own father into taking what did not belong to him in terms of the birthright. And so... 
That was, that was Jacob. And then Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, we're told, in, in Genesis. And he wrestled with him all night. And then, God, then uh, and we know that this was like a, like a, a pre-incarnate Jesus is the best way to describe it. That's a whole other sermon. So anyway, but he touches Jacob's side and he gives him a limp, right? Like it messed up his hip a little bit. And he renamed him. Your name is now Israel because you have contended, you have wrestled with God. So uh, that's, the, that's what the name Israel means, one who contends with God, one who is drawn to God, one who won't let God go. That's, that's what their name means. So Samuel's two sons, their, name doesn't, their names don't reflect their lifestyle, and Israel as a nation, her name as a nation does not reflect her lifestyle. And it's still, listen, you need to hear this, especially with all the politics, it still doesn't reflect them today. They're just they're as atheistic as, an, as, as a people could possibly be. They are as godless as any other nation. Uh, there's coming a day where Israel will cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, speaking of Jesus, but that day hasn't come yet. And so that's, that's another sermon. I've got to stay off of that point. Um, so, uh, but, so, so their names didn't reflect their, their, the way they were living, the way they were walking, which as we walk through this passage, as we, as we reflect on this passage, we're forced, I think, we're forced as Christians to ask ourselves, my identity is Christian. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, how am I walking in step with the meaning of my name, my new identity in Christ? And so that's paradox number two. I, I, like their story, Israel's story is, is, is like, it's worse than a walk. It's, it seems like it's just reverse <laughs> in terms of their journey with the Lord. And years later, the prophet Jeremiah will say something to this effect in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says, be appalled. I think, I don't know if I have the words on that. Anyway. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. <clears throat> For my people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, to carve out for themselves cisterns. It's like a well that would collect water, by the way. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Right, here are some of my takeaways from that paradox. One, Israel thought that their greatest need was what the world had to offer. And, and by, by chasing after that and rejecting God as king over them, they got the reverse. If you read... Uh, chapter 8 into chapter 9. <laughs> like, we, we just looked at the first nine verses uh, of chapter 8. Chapter 8, verses 10 and following, if you read that, Israel's about to get exactly the opposite of what they were longing for. They thought that by getting a king, they would have some measure of freedom. They thought by having something as attractive as the other nations, that they, that, that they would have more power that they would dwell in more security. But what they got was the opposite. They got, they, got a, <laughs> they got a heavier burden, and they got shame, is what they got, in the, in the king uh, by the name of Saul, which <clears throat> he's an interesting character. The other takeaway, and this is great for as we're going into, you know, you've got debates, and some of you are wondering who's going to be the next president. Some of you are um, losing sleep over... Who, this is the best we have. Um, like, 
on both sides? <laughs> really? Uh, here, here's the other takeaway. Sin-begotten kings cannot solve the problems of sin-begotten people. We need something greater. And uh, Israel was get confused and thought that by getting a king that it would solve their deepest problem. Well, what was their deepest problem? Their deepest problem was a problem of the heart. It's the same problem we experience today. And then there's a third paradox. Israel's demand for a king like the other nations was a vote of no confidence in, the, in God as king over their lives. So that's just another, another point um, that just oozes from these pages. Like in, in demanding a king, they were rejecting God as king over them. It was a vote of no confidence. I don't have any confidence in you, Yahweh. <laughs> I know you delivered us from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And I know you parted the seas, and I know you've done some pretty crazy things, and we have a whole track record of falling away from you and you raising up a judge to deliver us. And, and there's so many other things that you have done, but uh, we don't really trust you anymore. Give us a king like the other nations. I find that ironic. <clears throat> but it's so easy to point at Israel, right? And say, look what they've done. That's just so foolish. But don't we do the same thing? We might not say it this way, but we certainly live that way sometimes. And, and here's the other thing that we need to understand, is that their desire for a king, it was not their desire for a king that was bad, because God's intention for Israel was that she would have a king. From the very beginning, from, from the garden in chapter 3, there would be a seed that would come from you, Eve. He will crush the head of the serpent. He'll, he'll, he'll do that. And... Uh, there are prophetic passages leading all the way up to 1 Samuel chapter 8 where God said there is going to be a king. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, I don't have time to read it for you. I'd encourage you to check it out sometime. But it's literally, it's God's prescription for the kind of king that they were to have over them, that they would one day have a king, and these are the things that had to be true of that king. Things that... <laughs> All right, now I'm going to read it, because I, I want you to hear this. So Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you take possession of it and live in it, and you say, I will appoint a king over me, like all the nations who are around me. So God, through Moses, is seeing this is going to be a danger. Israel's going to look around her, and she's going to say, I want like what they have. And so he goes on to say this. Um, you shall, in fact, appoint a king over you whom Yahweh, your God, chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall appoint as king over yourselves. And you may not put a foreigner over yourselves, anyone who is not your, your countrymen. Hear the overtones of kinsman, redeemer in that? You, you need somebody who is related to you to rule over you. And he goes on to say, in any case, he is not to acquire many horses, <laughs> like every king in Israel failed on that regard, they, uh, may not acquire many horses for himself, nor shall he make the people return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord you know, said, you shall never go back again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself. <laughs> like, David, 
um, he failed on that marker. Uh, Solomon failed on that as well. So there's this list here, and basically uh, what they're told is in Deuteronomy is that the king that will rule over you must be one who loves the law of God. He must be one who obeys the law of God. He must be one whose strength is in Yahweh alone. And there's, and there's a whole list. There are actually seven of them. I'm going to share them with you uh, of what was to be true of the king. The king would be a person like them who Yahweh would appoint over them. The king would be a person from among their own people. The king would be a person who truly loved Yahweh. The king would be a person whose security and strength rested in Yahweh. The king would be a person who loved the law and the, and the word of Yahweh. The king would be a person who would obey the law and word of Yahweh. The king would be a person who would seek and serve his people for their good and the glory of Yahweh. Does this sound like somebody familiar, kind of creeping like through the pages of Scripture? If you haven't seen it yet, I'll, I'll point it out to you in a moment. But the takeaway from that third paradox is that the one Israel needed most is the one they wanted least. Yeah, we're, we're so busy chasing bubbles, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that the world blows. It's just, you know, remember as a kid, uh, maybe some of you don't remember. <laughs> like, that was a long time ago. Um, remember, like, how many of you remember blowing bubbles for your children? And they would chase them. And why would they chase them? Because they tried to capture them, right? Um, that's our world. You know, the world is blowing bubbles. And, and the, our idol factory generating hearts are prone to chase after those bubbles, thinking that they will satisfy. And when you get them, they just pop. They're gone. They're here and they're gone. Like that, that bank account that you're hoping will be full, full one day, gone. That relationship, that ideal relationship, gone. Your, your life could be gone tomorrow. Like, gone. What Israel needed most, they seemed to want least. And, and the second takeaway is that Israel believed that their rejection of God would give them freedom, but would ultimately result in a greater bondage and burden that would lead to greater sorrows. And, they, and you get, they were warned. After, in verse 10, they were warned. God said to Samuel, to warn them. Let them know what they're getting. They want a king like the other nations. They don't want a king that I appoint over them. This is what they'll get when they do that. And so, uh, which is not somebody who is for the people, but somebody for himself. And then it leads me to my second point, and this is brief, the, the king Israel rejected. Um, it wasn't Israel's desire for a king that was bad. It was the kind of king they wanted. In 1 John chapter 2, we read these words. Let's, let's read this together. Ready? Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's as old as the garden. If you read Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were tempted and they gave in to sin, it's exactly what, uh, what they did. Uh, in Genesis 3 verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. When you skip to chapter 9 in 1 Samuel, you know who they find? They find Saul. He, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And verse 2, if you have your Bible and you're looking at it, because it won't be on the screen, we read these words, and he had a son, that's Saul's father, had a son, his name was Saul, a young and handsome man. 
And there was not a more handsome man than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up was taller than all of the other people. You, you see what's wrong with the picture here? They're like attracted to what the king looks like. It's the same lie, just different dress. And so God says to Samuel, listen to the people. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. You know, and they're, they're going to chase after this, this idea that will not satisfy them. Which leads me to, you know, what kind of king was Yahweh? What kind of king was God? What kind of king did Israel reject? This is like one of the key passages that will kind of, the, the thread of this passage will find its way through this whole Advent series. It's Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 through 8. And the words will be on the screen. Uh, I'll just point them out. You don't have to read with me. I just want, to, I want you to see this. This is what the Lord says. He who is the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of armies, I am the first and I am the last. You've heard that before? Speaking of Yahweh, by the way, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. And let him confront me, beginning with my establishing of the ancient nation, speaking of Israel. Then let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me or is there any other rock? I know of none. This is who they were re rejecting. This is, the, this is what we're prone to reject. This God who's good. Like the, the God who overwhelmed Pharaoh with, 12, with 10 plagues and parted the sea is the God they were rejecting. Israel demanded a sin-begotten taskmaster master in place of a redeemer. You know, somebody said to me once that when it comes to sin, he said, it was actually in a class, he said, it was one of my professors, said, you know, class, don't ever try to um, make sense of sin. Sin is irrational. It makes no sense. It's a lie that we buy into. So God gave Israel the desire of her hearts. And you know what she wound up with? Saul. You want to know how long she wound up with Saul? Forty years. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> when they're in the wilderness, they could have gone right into the promised land. But because of their rebellion and because of their sin, God was like, okay, take another lap. You still don't get it. Take another lap. Wait, you're at the threshold of entering into the promised land and you think the giants are bigger than me? Take another lap. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. And here they are in chapter 8. Like, we want a king like the other nations. And God, God had intended to give them a good king. And it's as if he was telling them, take a lap. <laughs> it's going to be 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, you will be in Israel, but it's going to be a burden. It's going to be a burden. And if you just waited, if you just waited, I had the son of Jesse I was raising up for you. David. Yeah, if you just waited. He was, he was on the dock. He was going to be, he was, he was the king, not a perfect king, but he would be a type of a perfect king that would come after him. I, I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, how many times have we wound up in, with a Saul in our life because we were impatient or we thought that, the, that what the world had to offer was better than what God had for us? Like some of you are in marriages because you settled for Saul, right? 
And, and some of you are you, you're at a job because you settled for Saul, or you, you're in a certain situation because you settled for Saul, and you're like, now what do I do? And this is what Israel like, had to deal with. But even though they rejected God as king over them, God still intended to give them the son of Jesse. He still intended to, to give them David. And after David, one greater. In Genesis chapter 49, we're told in Genesis, like Israel knew this promise. As for you, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion and as a lion who dares to stir him up. The scepter, that is the ruler's rod, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. That was what God had intended for Israel. That was God's plan all along. Israel demanded Saul. Why? Because he was tall, and he looked good, and he looked like all the other kings. And what they settled for was, was a burden. What they settled for was disappointment. What they settled for was shame. That's what Adam and Eve got after they ate the fruit, was shame. That's, the, that's what sin is. We chase after the souls in our, in our life, in our world, and, and, and we wind up with that. But for those of you who are like, okay, great, now you just describe my spouse as being Saul, and I kind of agree with you, Pastor Keith. He's like, <laughs> now what do I do? Here's the story of the Bible. The king that the Israel rejected was the Redeemer. Listen, and this king that they rejected, he lives up to his name in every way. He is the Redeemer, which leads me to, like, my third and like application point, and that is the king that we need. Like the story of humanity is broken cisterns. The story of humanity is of, of our lives is, like, is one of rejecting a greater glory for lesser glories. Like we, we chase after the lesser glories that this world has to offer. The story about man's desire for the kings of the earth is, is our story in a lot of ways. And every time when we chase after that, we wind up with greater shame. We wind up with a greater burden. We wind up living 40 years in the wilderness, or worse, when we could have had David. We could have had David. And the question we're forced to, we should be forced to ask ourselves is, what are you, what are you settling for? Like, what am I, yeah, I ask myself that. What am I settling for? Um, I want to leave something with you that, that I think will encourage you. And that is, whatever you're going through in your life right now, maybe you're like, yep, I, I have a Saul in my life. God has a David for you. And it's not, it's not the kings of the earth. It's you were made for a good king. Your satisfaction, your hope, your, your contentment, your joy can only be fully experienced in a relationship with that king. The king that was promised in, in Genesis chapter 49. The king that I'll look at next week and that's promised to David that will sit on David's throne forever in 2 Samuel. The king who would come as the ultimate lamb for the purpose of reigning as the rightful lion of Judah. That king. We were made 
to be ruled by a good king. Like on the first Christmas, that king's voice was heard, right? In the, in the, in the sound of an infant's cry. Nobody noticed except for some shepherds, and they would have never even noticed had it not been for some angels, you know, telling them about, the, uh, about this king that was born. We read about him in Isaiah, four, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and his name will be called, listen, listen to his name, like he lives up to his name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And here's the crazy thing. I, I, crazy, like, I was geeking out about this, and I, I was sharing this with our life group on Friday. Like, the, the king that God intended for us, like, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Jesus checks all the boxes. He checks every single box. Not one king over Israel leading up to Jesus checked all of those boxes. There is only one king who checks all those boxes, and that's Jesus. He would be sent by, by God. He would be a descendant of David as fully human. He's a member of the family. He would be the son of, David, of, of God with, with a love for him unparalleled by any other. He loved Yahweh. Uh, he, he would humble himself with an absolute dependence upon God as his father. His strength was in Yahweh. He would live in perfect uh, dependence upon the law and obedience upon the law of God and the word of God. And he would be born not to be serves but to serve even jesus said to that he came not to be served but to give his life as a ransom for many that is the story of advent the worship team's going to come up and lead us in this song uh king of kings but but think about that like the one born on the first christmas and was laid in that manger for lowly shepherds to see and wandering magi to seek was the one born king of the jews Born on Christmas was the Redeemer, the Lord, the one who is the first and the last. Read Revelation chapter 1 sometime. He is the living one. We were indeed meant to be ruled, but by a good king. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.